Chapter Fifteen of Betty Baird's Golden Year by Anna Hamlin Weichel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter Fifteen: The Twine Wash Rag. Presently, Miss Jane and Mrs. Baird came out on the veranda. Although a woman of sixty, Miss Jane had all the vivid interest in life of a young girl, and now, in the home of the people she loved and in whose friendship she felt secure, she was experiencing a traveler's delight in new sights and surroundings. Her tall, gaunt figure, clad in rusty bombazine, was replete with nervous energy. Her gray hair was gathered into a tight little knot at the back of her small head. A pair of iron-rimmed spectacles surmounted her rather sharp nose. She walked spryly to the top of the steps, and looking over the rims of her spectacles, called briskly, beckoning with her lean forefinger, "'Lisbeth, come here once!' Betty flew over to her, and taking the low steps two at a time, was at her side in an instant. "'Here's something for you. It ain't worth nothing, but you was so fond of your bead necklace when you was a little girl that I made this for you.' Miss Jane handed her a bead reticule, which she had worked with many an elaborate and painstaking stitch. It was a perfect copy of a century-old bag, charmingly designed in dull colors, and was not unlike those that were being carried by well-bred girls at the dictates of fickle fashion. "'Oh, Miss Jane, it's beautiful! And you made it for me?' Betty threw her young arms around the spare, rigid shoulders, kissing her again and again, though as usual where miss jane was concerned betty didn't know whether to laugh or to cry for though her deeds were so unselfish her manner was always positively threatening when she feared she was about to be thanked for them ach that ain't worth a row o shucks she pushed betty aside and thrusting her hand deep down into her skirt pocket drew out a twine wash rag i didn't have nothin for that perlite young man what helped me so I want her give him this here wash rag. That red border won't run. It's fast. Betty's eyes twinkled, but she hesitated. Would it be fair to Miss Jane to allow her to put herself in a position that would make her appear ridiculous to people who did not understand her peculiarities and love them, as they themselves did? She knew that Jack would understand, for she and Lois had told him a great deal about her. But what of Mr. Minturn? Betty's mouth grew firm. He's a gentleman. I know he'll understand, she said to herself. Come, Miss Jane, she cried, putting her hand in Miss Jane's arm. Let's give it to him right away. Miss Jane would not budge. I won't do no such thing, child. You give it to him. Betty walked towards Mr. Minturn thoughtfully, stretching out the wash rag, then folding it to a neat little square. She couldn't be quite sure of the wisdom of giving it, yet she knew that Miss Jane would be disappointed if she could not, in her favorite way, acknowledge Mr. Minturn's courtesy in carrying her parcels. Well, it's time I trust him, and I do, was the way she summed up her cogitations, with a characteristic dash of her hand over her bright hair, as though she had smoothed all difficulties out of her mind. Minturn noticed that her usually merry face was grave and preoccupied. By the way, Mr. Minturn, she began lightly, I think you must have second sight, or is it plain insight? 
like your professor wait she was thinking of something kind to do and it was for you miss jane is so grateful for your services that she asked me to give you this for a moment minturn looked down at the gift in his hand evidently mystified jack who had seen a succession of these wash rags come to the bairds from miss jane's kind and busy fingers recognized it at once and his eyes flashed mischievously then minturn made it out and with a pleased glance at betty he examined the fast-dyed wash-rag attentively well if that isn't about the nicest thing that has happened to me in many a long day he exclaimed and hurried over to miss jane i do thank you miss huffnagel he began but miss jane interrupted him determined to frustrate his efforts to thank her this here's an awful nice place ain't it is she looked admiringly around at the house and the garden Betty came to the relief of Mr. Minturn, who was somewhat embarrassed by his first experience with the quaint Pennsylvania Dutch idiom and peculiar intonation. Oh, Miss Jane, you know Lois is here, don't you? She and Mr. Lane are feeding the pony. Let's go after them. Just then Lois and Dunny appeared, and Betty hurried to meet them. Oh, Lois, guess who is here, she cried but lois had spied miss jane's tall figure and was running towards her joining betty in her jubilations miss jane won't you come down to the wharf and see us off asked jack as he shook hands with her at the porch oh do let us go miss jane betty threw an arm around her waist and they hurried to a point that overlooked the landing miss jane stared wonderingly at the young men's duck suits and shook her head them white suits of theirn must make their mothers an awful wash ain't betty but i guess they must have hired girls to help em do em up she concluded brightening the two stood on the bank and waved farewells as the graceful launch started off once i rode on a packet boat on the canal i was leetle then just about knee-high to a grasshopper miss jane murmured i don't think them lunches half as nice as packets no indeed they ain't she added energetically looking after the handsome boat she turned and looked at betty who was watching the men jump from the launch to the king's yawl and whose eyes followed the yawl until the peak of the white sail showing a moment against the deep blue of the sky sank out of sight behind the golden sandbars miss jane paused then she added what she had not intended in the beginning as she observed betty's face the light in the dark eyes, the exquisite color on the oval cheeks, the wistful smile on the sweet lips. I guess them lunches don't seem so nice, because I ain't young no more yet. She realized that youth had cast the same mysterious radiance over the Pennsylvania canal boat that it was now throwing for Betty over the trim yawl. What did you say, Miss Jane? Betty asked, hugging her closely for miss jane had spoken under her breath nothin own up miss jane you feel exactly as i do said betty looking into the sharp blue eyes that were now a little misty i mean that i always feel sad when i see a boat pushing off and watch it sail towards the horizon and then suddenly disappear it's a farewell sort of a way i see you're still a high flyer lizbeth said miss jane testily she had no sympathy with sentiment or at least none that she was willing to show 
I guess a body can find a good bit in this world to make us sad that ain't moonshine and water and boats. She took the sting from her words by patting Betty's hand lovingly, then exclaimed, to hide her feelings, My, Lizbeth, how strubbled your hair is! And she gently pushed back the fine loose curls. Betty laughed. She wanted to tell Miss Jane that she had grown very practical, but she didn't have the gift of ready self-excuse. However, Miss Jane helped her. You always was fond of poetry, but your mother says how you're right smart at figurin' and been savin' and countin' your pennies. That's right. A penny saved is a penny earned. But you're a good girl, Elizabeth, she finished briskly as they started back towards the house. For several days Miss Jane was silent as to her reasons for coming to Boxwood. That she came unexpectedly was not surprising, as she loved surprises and moreover it was always the unexpected that happened where she was concerned but the fact that she had evidently come to stay a long time as her baggage indicated was puzzling gradually it leaked out that her two nephews were out of work and that miss jane's sewing days in weston were at an end a new and fashionable dressmaker with the sign madame bienvenue modes in large gold letters on her door had usurped the place so long held by Miss Jane. No one wished for plain sewing now, and the new dressmaker made all the Weston gowns except the increasing number that were bought ready-made in Philadelphia. Miss Jane had come to seek work in the city. It came out only in disconnected words and sentences, for it was hard to break a lifelong habit of reticence abruptly miss jane had begun to ask for means of getting employment for herself and then for the little boys one of whom was eighteen the other nearing seventeen mrs baird and betty encouraged her heartily and promised to begin at once to try to find places for the nephews but they soon saw that her chief anxiety was to find work for herself to help rather than to be helped when they were alone betty turned to mrs baird why mother she hesitated while a look of gentle brooding came into her beautiful eyes why mother she repeated can it be that miss jane is superannuated a superannuated seamstress betty smiled a little at her unexpected alliteration then her eyes sought the floor in perplexity dear miss jane said gentle-hearted mrs baird lovingly it is good to see her. I can find some work for her here in the village, and she will be able to preserve her so dearly loved independence. But she must first have a good long vacation, which you know perfectly well she will never take, mother darling. But I think I can get places for the boys. They are rather bright. You know I went to school with one of them. Jack will help me, and so will Mr. Anstice your father says office boys are in great demand they can get six or seven dollars a week each and with their thrifty habits and their rent from the little home in weston i believe they can manage very well in less than a week betty had secured positions for both boys the older with jack at eight dollars per week the younger with mr anstice at seven there was promise of advancement in both places if they proved reliable which they certainly are for they are miss jane's nephews betty commented emphatically lois offered miss jane a loan to bring the two boys to new york but miss jane insisted that she had enough 
and in a short time the three began the task so new and strange to them of living in a tiny flat in the city to the boy's salary miss jane was able to add her own earnings as her exquisite plain sewing became known to the ladies of hobart through mrs baird and betty and with the rent money from weston they were soon receiving a considerable sum each month lois i have such a queer association of ideas said betty they were having their evening walk up and down under the firs and elms that bordered the path in front of the house you know that basement in our studio building is empty and miss minturn will rent it only to extraordinarily desirable people mr anstice laughs at her and says she will never rent it but she says she doesn't care she must have a neat-looking basement her studio demands artistic surroundings now since miss jane has come i can see in plain block letters on the basement door pennsylvania dutch cooking why betty exclaimed lois reproachfully do you think miss jane could run a restaurant miss jane no indeed but you know her sister is much younger and she is the best cook in all weston and it's the best kind of characteristic pennsylvania dutch cooking her coffee and coffee cake are just wonders you see coffee cake here of course but the real dutch article is as different from that as as from leather and her sponge cake and her schmierkasse and her apple butter and her raisin pies and her chicken pot pie now you know her daughters are dunkers and how cute and fetching they'd be as waitresses with immaculate close-fitting caps and enormous white aprons it would take i know it would exclaimed lois enthusiastically you must let me start them miss jane could not object to a business loan yes and miss minturn would let her have it for a low rent and she could depend on miss minturn's customers for patronage they often ask for some nice place then my father and i would be delighted to go there and there's a start when betty broached the plan the next day miss minturn was much pleased the windows could be neatly curtained in barred muslin she said and betty guaranteed that the place would be spotless with characteristic energy miss minturn and betty had mrs gomp miss jane's sister installed in short order the walls were tinted a delicate yellow and miss minturn lent her old brasses and coppers with blue platters to put on a narrow shelf forming a frieze around the room the fresh-faced dutch maidens with their stiffly starched caps and aprons made a bewitching picture framed in such appropriate surroundings for on the high old dresser the pewter shone as it had in its pennsylvania home and the conservative dutch women carried their customs and their atmosphere unspoiled into their new environment from the beginning these three of the harmless people as the dunkers used to be called bustled around in good old housewifely fashion and treated the tea-room in the same pleasant homely manner they always had their own well-scrubbed kitchen new york is hungry for home life and when these plain motherly souls came into the dining-room all genuine solicitude for their guests as if by their own hearthside and without pecuniary considerations they created an atmosphere very grateful to the homeless new yorkers end of chapter fifteen recording by holly jensen